This morning's reading comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through 5, verse 2. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of the Lord. You know, all of us, our families, have certain things that they're kind of known for, certain things that kind of, if you ask people about that family, kind of stand out. The family I grew up in, I would say people that knew us and kind of lived life with us when I was younger, probably one of the things that would have been pretty close to the top of the list in describing my family was workers. They are hard workers. Um, my family, if there's one thing that my parents wanted to make sure we learned, it was a strong work ethic. It was a work long, work hard. That matters. That's important in your life. And there's much about that I appreciate. There's much about that I value that my parents passed on to all of us. Um, and, I, and I've learned through the years that I find myself often in situations where I am definitely not the most talented and I'm definitely not the brightest person in the group or in that situation. But I've always kind of had this little bit of confidence that, well, I can fill in some of those gaps if I just work hard enough, if I try hard enough, if I push myself hard enough. I can, I can make up for some of that just by pure effort uh, and fill it in. And again, I, I think there's a place for hard work. I think it matters. I think it's, it's good. Uh, scripture is filled with calls to perseverance in the face of challenges. Again, I think it's a good thing. But I've, I've come to learn as I've lived life, there's some situations in which just trying harder really isn't the most important thing. Just pushing harder, working harder, it's really just not enough. Or, or even if it is important, it's not the most important thing. And I would say many times I put too much confidence in just work hard, just push hard, 
just do more. There are some places where that's just not the thing that matters the most. And if there's any place that I have found that to be true, it is in trying to live the life as a Christian that I want to live, that I feel called to live. Just trying harder. Just pushing harder. Just human effort. Not really the thing that fuels it. Not really the thing that matters the most in living the Christian life. Someone who came to that conclusion long before me was John Owen, the 17th century theologian. He wrote this, Our greatest hindrance in the Christian life is not our lack of effort, but our lack of acquaintedness with our privileges. Our greatest hindrance is our lack of acquaintedness with our privileges as people who are in Christ. He's saying if we just if we just understood the privileges that are ours because of Christ and in Christ and what he's done for us, if we lived in an awareness of that and we had fully embraced that, we would live a very different kind of life. That's at the core, not just pushing harder. It would empower the kind of life that we want to live as Christians. Let, let me try and explain it this way. Imagine with me that there's a man who's married. And this man decides he wants to be a good husband. He wants to do the good things a husband should do. He wants to, he wants to live a life where he treats his wife with respect and that he's, he's attentive to her needs and he's caring and responsive to the things that she needs. He's kind and compassionate towards her. He wants to be a good husband. And so he sets his mind towards being a good husband. Every single day he gets up and with discipline he thinks through what he should do that day and what a good husband should do. And he makes a plan, and he lives out that plan. He carries out the task of being a good husband. I think most of us, if we saw that man, we would say, good husband. That's good. I think his wife would go, that's okay. I like that. Keep doing that. That's, that's a good husband. Now imagine with me another man. So this man, he finds a woman, and he marries this woman who's just a remarkable woman. This is a woman who is generous. She's generous not only towards him and towards eventually their children, but towards their neighbors, towards the people she works with, even towards strangers. She's just a generous woman. This woman is wise. This woman is thoughtful and reflective. Uh, when she speaks, the word's worth listening to. This is a woman who truly cares about her husband. She, she really wants the best for him. Even when she challenges him, he just kind of knows that in it, there's a hopefulness. It's not just finding fault in him, but she really does want the best for him. She's always pulling for him to succeed. She wants him to win, ultimately. She's somebody who is just compassionate and caring and kind. She's somebody that when she walks into the room, she brings kind of a joy with her. That that room is a better place. Those people are better people because of her presence. Now imagine that man who lives with this woman who loves him well and cares about him and sacrifices for him and for her family. Uh, just a good woman. Now that man too may decide, I want to be a good husband, but I get a feeling being a good husband in that situation is a different kind of being a good husband. Matter of fact, for him not to be a good husband who's not responsive to the good in his wife, who's not attentive to her needs and caring and, and just appreciative of her, it would, be, it would be odd. It would be a strange thing for him not to live that way towards his wife. It would be crazy that he would not live that way towards his wife. In fact, if he lifts up his head and looks at his wife, he has all the motivation he needs 
to live well towards his wife. Because her goodness is infectious. You, you want to give back what you're receiving from her. You want to live that way towards her. Now, he may at times have to put his head down and work hard and do those things because we're all selfish people and he may have his moments. But always if he lifts his head up and looks at his wife right there before him, it's not only the, the motivation he needs, but really in some ways the resources he needs to be the kind of man he wants to be. He doesn't have to do it alone because the way she lives towards him brings out better in him. Now, imagine a third situation with me. So imagine that man I just described who lives with that woman I just described. He decides he wants to be a good husband. So every morning he puts his head down and he tries hard and he makes a plan and he goes out and he lives out that plan and does those tasks. And he seldom, if ever, lifts up his head and looks towards his wife. He seldom really thinks about the woman he's doing those tasks for. He just puts his head down and he tries to do what's the right thing to do as a good husband because he wants to be a good husband. That would just be sad. That would just be sad that that man, even though he's trying to do good and trying to do right, missed out on the best resources he has to live the life he wants to live and to be the man he wants to be. That he's, he's not paying attention that right here with him is somebody that will help him be that man and live that life. He's doing on his own what he doesn't have to do on his own. That would be sad. Owen said, our greatest hindrance in the Christian life is our lack of acquaintedness with our privileges. If we just understood the privileges that are ours in our relationship with Christ, it would just change the life that we live. It would make it an easier life to live. The challenges of living the Christian life would be different if we fully embraced and understood and lived in an awareness of what is ours in Christ. So what are those privileges through Christ? Well, I think the greatest privilege is our union with Christ himself. That is the greatest gift we have of being people who are in Christ. Christ is with us and in us and for us. I've been reading a book by a theologian named Michael Reeves. It's a wonderful little book called Rejoicing in Christ that I'd highly recommend. He said this, Our union with Christ is not just the appetizer to the Christian life. It's not the soup we push back as we wait for the meat to arrive. It's not the doorway that leads us into a life that is something, about something else. It is the stake in the living room of the Christian life. Being with Christ, union with Christ, that is, that is the good news. The good news is that God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son that he would die for our sins, that he was rose again to new life, and in so doing, he conquered death and darkness for us. That's good news. But the really good news is that we get to spend eternity with him. That's the good news. And that eternity began the moment we received Christ. It's, it's not someday we die and we were Christ. Christ is with us right now. Every single day, every moment, we get to live in union with Christ. That's the good news. Um, good news beyond belief. That through who Christ is and what he's done for us, that we have actually been ushered into relationship, union with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that we live our life every moment in union with him, in his presence, in him with us. That's the good news. Uh, matter of fact, he even says that we live it in union with one another who are in Christ, right? 
in this remarkable, unimaginable way, we don't have to do it alone anymore. It's not up to our own resources to live the life we're called to live. We get to do it with God with us, with one another, together in union with each other, not alone. Uh, probably the place you see that most clearly is in Jesus' prayer in John 17. Here's just a couple of sentences out of that prayer. Jesus prays to his Father and says, I have given them the glory that you gave me. Think of that sentence. Jesus prays to the Father, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. I in them and you in me, joined together now in Christ. He goes on and says, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Christ in us. Us and God, union, together, never alone again. The Christian life is it's tempting to think of it as a series of tasks that you need to do, things you need to go out and add to your schedule. Look at your schedule. What are some good Christian things to put in there and add them in? Or maybe you think about it as some dues you need to pay. You know, God's done remarkable things for me. I need to kind of pay back a little. I need to pay my dues and do some good Christian things. That's not really how Scripture speaks about the Christian life. Scripture speaks about the Christian life as really living in harmony with the one who is now in us, who is with us. Living in the power that he now pours into us and living it out. In fact, the image that Jesus uses is that one of the vine and the branches. It's one that says, actually, to live the Christian life is not about just trying hard. It's about remaining in Christ. That's how you live the Christian life. You remain in him. And if you remain in him, his life goes into you and fills you and through you then produces good fruit, good acts, good works, good things that you do. Now, that fruit bearing, it's, it's not just a completely passive thing. Somehow we're involved in this fruit bearing, but it is absolutely not something that is about our own efforts alone. Matter of fact, it's really not the basis of it, our efforts. It is something, again, if we remain in Christ through us and bears good fruit. That's what we're called to. Uh, this Michael Reeves that I mentioned earlier in his book, he made up one other comment that I just never thought about, and it honestly has been stuck in my head ever since I read it. Just a little passing comment he made was about this passage in 1 John 3, 2. In 1 John 3, 2, we read these words. We know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. When Christ appears, when Christ returns, his second coming, and he comes back, when we see the glorified Christ, we will then be like him. Why? Why will we be like him? Because we'll see him. Just the presence of Christ, just seeing the glorified Christ is so incredibly powerful, we will be transformed in that moment. That is the power of Christ's presence. That's what changes us and gives us the ability to live out the life we want to live. Most people I know who are followers of Christ, they want to live the life that Scripture calls us to live. They want to do those things that we're called to do. But man, it's hard. It is a struggle. And the temptation is put your head down and try harder, try harder, try harder. Again, hard work matters. 
But I want to say I think we miss something. It's not just try harder. It's lift your head up and look who is with you. Remain in Christ. Hold close to him. See him. Because that's the power that will enable you to live the life that you truly long to live. So I chose uh, the book of Ephesians today. I haven't even talked about it yet. But I chose the book of Ephesians because I don't think there's really a better example in Scripture that kind of tells us how the, how the Christian life, living the Christian life, has to be grounded in this relationship with Christ, in this realization of the privileges that are ours because we're in Christ. I think the whole book of Ephesians just kind of paints that picture for us. I would have had Rick come up and read the whole book of Ephesians, but I was kind to him and just chose a little section out of it, and I figured you all couldn't stand that long. So in Ephesians, matter of fact, in Ephesians, you'll find that phrase in Christ or in him, something like 27 times in the book of Ephesians. Apostle Paul just calls us back again and again and again, you're in Christ, you're in Christ, you're in Christ, you're in Christ, wants us to know that. Everything has changed because you're in Christ. The first three chapters, he just drives home to us the privileges that are ours because we're in Christ. He tells us we've been chosen in Christ. We are forgiven. We are set free. We're guaranteed this remarkable future. We have this great inheritance that has now guaranteed us. He tells us we have been transformed. It's already happened. We've been transformed as individuals and as a community. He tells us that as followers of Christ, as children of God, we stand equal, shoulder to shoulder before God in his presence and in his sight, all intimately united with one another and with him. He tells us that each of us are, are meaningful participants in God's great plan. And then he tells us that we are loved beyond our imagination, beyond any. Think of how much God loves you. And Paul tells you, you come up short. That love runs deeper than, than anything you could possibly picture. That's how much God loves you. And, and the climax, kind of in the middle of the book of Ephesians, is that prayer that we all know so well that Paul prayed. He said, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Man, I wish you could get it how deeply you've been loved, if you could grasp the privileges that are now yours in Christ and the love that is now yours. And then in chapter 4, he says, now I want you to live a life worthy of that calling. I want you to go out and live the life. I want you to do. There's doing here. There's work to be done. Go do it. But he lays this foundation. It says, no, but man, think about who you are. Think about the privileges of you. Think about who is with you and in you and for you. Hold on to that. Now go do. But what's interesting is he tells us then in the rest of Ephesians, go do, and there's a whole lot of doing, we're told, in the rest of Ephesians. He doesn't say, okay, I've laid the foundation, now let's focus on doing. He again and again through the rest of the book of Ephesians weaves in there again and again, and here are the privileges that are yours because you're in Christ. And again and again, he kind of calls us to lift our head up and remember, you're doing this for Christ and with Christ. Remember, there's a face in front of you as you do these things. You're not just doing them to do them because they're right to do. You're doing them in a relationship with God for him. It's about him. Look up. Remember who's with you. Remember who this is about. And so he goes on and he kind of weaves that in. And then you'll see that right at the very beginning of the passage that Rick read for us. 
in the beginning of chapter 4, I mean in chapter 4, verses 17 through 19. He talks about not living this life of impurity and this life of greed and lust for more and addiction, always wanting more. He says, don't live that life. But then again, after he calls them a certain kind of behavior, this is not the way you should go, then he calls them back and reminds them. He says in verse 20, you did not come to know Christ that way. The English doesn't really present that as well, I think, as the Greek. It's, it's kind of, you know, you didn't come to know Christ that way. It's kind of a little reminder. Actually, in the Greek, I'm told that it's, it's intense language. It's almost like grabbing somebody by the shoulders and saying, you didn't come to know Christ that way. That's not who you know. You get it? And when he says know here, it's not just an intellectual knowing. It's a word that he uses. It's more about knowing, relationally knowing, really knowing him. That is not the Christ you know. Of course you're not going to live that way. Look up, look at Christ. You know him. That's not him. You would not live that way. He's with you. He's in you. That's not who you are anymore. Live differently. But then he goes on and says, Surely you heard of him and were taught in him. Actually, the, the word of doesn't appear in the Greek. There's no of in that sentence. It's just, surely you heard him. You heard him. And the context of that hearing seems to be, again, this union with Christ. You were taught in him. You heard him. You know him. You heard him. You were taught in him. You, you are, Christ is in you. You are in Christ. The Christ that you know, this life just, that's not the life you want to live. That's not who you are now because Christ is with you and in you. He's, he's, he's made you a new creature. That's not the life you want to live. And so he goes on and Paul, throughout the rest of the letter, tells us a lot of stuff to do. Don't lie. Speak truthfully to everyone. Don't let anger tempt you into sin and resolve your anger quickly. Don't steal. Go out and do good work, but don't just do good work to do it. Do good work so that you might have something to give to those in need. Use your words in ways that build others up according to their needs. Don't, don't use your words in ways that are foul and destructive. It tells us to put away violence and behavior that tears down others and be kind and compassionate and forgiving towards others. And the list just keeps going on. But again, as the list goes on, as you read through the rest of Ephesians, woven all through there, you'll see again and again and again. And remember who you're with as you do this and who you're doing this for. And remember the privileges that are yours as you seek to do this. 432, forgive. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. You're forgiven. It's one of the privileges you have. Out of that forgiveness you know, go out and forgive others. Love, just as Christ loved us. 5.3, you know, don't, don't be people caught up in impurity and greed because that's improper for God's holy people. That's who you now are. You are God's holy people. He says, you know, you used to once live in darkness in 5.8, but now you are light in the Lord. You're, you're a new creature. Something's different about you. Own it. 5.10, find out what pleases the Lord. Look up and see Him. Make choices that are about Him. 5.20, always giving thanks to God, the Father for everything. Remember the blessings that are yours all around you, every moment of every day. 5.21, submit to one another. Do so out of reverence for Christ. Don't just do it for the other. Do it for the other, but do it out of reverence for Christ. Lift up your face again. Remember who is with you, and then act. If we live that way, 
if we really lived in awareness of and an embrace of the privileges that are ours in Christ, and first and foremost among those privileges is that Christ is with us. He is in us. We are in him. We have an unbelievable relationship with the Father because of him. That we are not alone. We don't have to do it alone. If we embrace that and live in awareness of that, I think we would live differently. I think we'd struggle. I think we'd still fail. I think we are not all we are meant to be yet. That's still coming. Uh, that moment's coming when we will see him and we will be the people we are truly meant to be. But man, I think it'd be a different kind of living. It'd be a different kind of living because, because not only we see who it is who is with us and the incredible blessings that we have because of that, but when we stop and look at him again, there is a richness in his love and in his goodness and in his holiness that is infectious, that pours into us and empowers us to live out the kind of life that we want to live. We just don't have to do it alone. So I want to end with three quick points. And my three quick points are these. And I totally stole these from somebody. Well, I adapted them from the person I stole from, so they're a little bit mine. Uh, I heard a talk uh, by a guy named Paul Tripp. I don't always agree with him on everything, but I love this talk uh, that he had. And he's a He's a Christian writer and speaker, a former pastor. And he was talking about a similar topic, and he ended with these points. He actually had four, so I kind of changed a little. Number one, start your day gazing upon the beauty of the Lord through his revelation. If, if you want to live the life that you're called to live, and I think most of us do, most of us who know Christ want to live a life that honors him and follows him, then start your day by gazing upon the beauty of the Lord. Look, look in his word. Just, just spend a few moments, just a couple of minutes at the beginning of your day just saying, look at how beautiful our God is. Look at his goodness and his wisdom and his grace, the rescuer that our God is, the, the remarkable God that we serve. Find a few passages that remind you of that and hold on to them. Keep them for your mornings. The Psalms are a great place to work. Many Look for that. Many places in Scripture. Uh, just find some that are meaningful to you. Have a few of them in your Bible that you can turn to in the morning and gaze upon the beauty of your Lord. And also, and I think Scripture is the place we most clearly see God revealing himself, but also take a walk outside some mornings. Uh, look out your window. Again, in God's revelation in his creation, remember the goodness and the beauty of your Lord. Think of some of the people you know people created in the image of God. Look into their face and see some reminders of the goodness and the beauty of our Lord and the image that he has imprinted upon them. Stop for a moment. Just reflect on how beautiful our God is. Number two, then remind yourself you are actually now a part of that beauty. You, you are in it. You're not someone who just gets to look on it you're part of it. God has made you a new creation through Jesus Christ. This is now you. He's in you. You're in him. You are a part of it. Remind yourself who you now are because of Christ. The blessings and the privileges that are yours. Who you truly are now. Even though it doesn't feel like it all the time. Even though it doesn't seem like it. Remind yourself who you truly are because of Christ. Three, go do. Go act. Go do those things that are in harmony with, that are in line with 
the beauty you've just seen, the beauty that you are now a part of, then go live it out. Go live out that beauty in the way you approach your world. Approach your creation, the creation around you that way. Approach other people that way. Approach those who are also children of God, who God dwells in that way. Um, go out and do with that in your head. And throughout your day, lift your head up again, remind yourself of what's true, and go out and do again. Let's pray. Father, I know you call us to things that are often difficult. You call us to make sacrifices, to persevere in hard things. You set before us examples of people who did work hard, who made tough choices. But Father, I pray that you would keep us from the foolishness of trying to do that on our own. I pray, Father, that you would keep us from trusting in our own efforts uh, more than we trust in you. Father, I thank you that we don't have to do it alone. It would truly be sad if we tried to live out the life you call us to live without you. And Father, I'm thankful we don't have to. I pray you would remind us often in your name. Amen.